Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, a presentation of Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades, culminated his ministry with a 21-year book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called Life Study. This Life Study is the basis for our program today and includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's program. The Apostle Paul, God's righteous servant, finds himself in a kind of courtroom, being accused before the Roman governor by a professional orator, an attorney of great skill. Yet, Paul again seizes this opportunity to stand against corrupt politics and the hypocrisy of the religion of that day. Stay with us as we see a faithful and sure word from the book of Acts that has a piercing relevance to our situation today on this Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee program, furnished by Living Stream Ministry and based on the ministry of Witness Lee and Watchman Nee. We have Witness Lee's 1984 recorded message from the book of Acts today. And once again, to help us unpack it and enjoy it is Ron Kangas. Ron, great to have you back. It's always a pleasure to serve together with you in this matter. Well, once again, we see Paul in chapter 24 in a difficult situation. Had he been willing to compromise even a little, he might have spared himself suffering and a two-year imprisonment. But compromise was just not a quality that we see in the Apostle Paul, do we, Ron? No, compromise is related, on the one hand, to one's political intentions in a political way of dealing with situations in order to advance one's interests. On the other hand, it's often related to self-preservation and caring first for your own life and only secondarily for whatever it is you are burdened to carry out in your ministry or your service. Paul, who was constituted thoroughly with Christ, who is described in the scriptures as the faithful and true witness, Paul, being the reproduction and the living again of such a Christ, it was just impossible for him to compromise. His Christ-constituted being would not permit this. His responsibility to be a witness, to testify of what he had seen and heard, didn't allow him. Paul had mentioned in Acts 20, as he was speaking to the elders in Ephesus gathered in Miletus, that he did not count his soul life, his human life, as precious to himself, but that he might complete the ministry to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. So here Paul is in a situation where his life is in danger, And Paul is being true to what he testified to the Ephesian elders. He did not count his life precious to itself. It was not an option for him to compromise, to protect himself, to preserve his life. His being, his vision, his commission, his constitution, all combined, issued in a spontaneous, direct, faithful, even properly aggressive testimony of this faithful witness. 
Well, we want to join Witness Lee for the beginning of this section, and then you and I will be back to have a little more fellowship regarding it. This is, again, a very interesting but a most instructive picture. Let's join Witness Lee. This is Paul's defense before Felix, the governor of the province of Judea. Of course, the Jews heard their attorney, and this attorney, he gave Paul three titles. Number one, in verse five, this attorney says, we have found this man a pest. <laughs> a pest, that means full of germs. Of course, he was full of germs, but not bad germs. Positive germs, the germs of the resurrected Christ. The germs which can propagate Christ into people. It's very good. And then the second title he gave to Paul was an agitator of insurrections among all the Jews throughout the inhabited earth. An agitator. You think about it. Then thirdly, a real leader of the sect of uh, the Nazarene. This is the uh, top sect, the sect of the Nazarenes. That means they consider all the believers of the Lord Jesus as some Nazarenes. The believers in Antioch were called Christians. But here, this attorney gave them a nickname, Nazarenes. Christians, we know this title means the men of Christ, the Christ men, living Christ all the time. So they consider them as Christians, men of Christ. And Nazarenes, they consider these followers just as that little Nazarene. So all his followers are considered by this attorney as uh, Nazarenes. Then Paul began to defend. Paul defended in this way, that he didn't do any wrong. He was uh, right. Only one thing he confessed in verse 14. That is, according to the way which the apostles call a sect. According to this way, I serve the God of our fathers, believing all that is written throughout the law and in the prophets. This means that Paul acted all the time according to the Old Testament. The law plus the prophets are just the uh, Old Testament. Paul just vindicated himself that he was a person behaving himself all the time scripturally. And the only thing that is different from the other Jews is the way he took to serve God. Of course, this is the way of the New Testament economy. Rod, this first section is devoted almost entirely to the names and the various titles that Paul's accusers used before Felix the governor. He was variously called a pest, an agitator, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Paul wouldn't take the word sect, but he did use the word the way in his description. What's the significance of this title for Christians? There is a drastic difference between a religious sect, which is usually formed around certain doctrinal concepts, 
or insistence upon particular practices. And the way, with a capital W. This term is used in Acts a number of times. Paul himself started out as one persecuting those who are of the way. So this term denotes the various aspects of God's New Testament economy brought forth through a radical dispensational change effected by the incarnation, human living, ministry, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus. On the one hand, in John, the Lord reveals that he himself is the way. Now in Acts, this term is enlarged to include not only Christ, but also the believers as members of the body of Christ who are living in oneness with the ascended Christ to take the way, the constricted way that leads to life mentioned in Matthew 7, ordained by God. So to oppose the way, as the religionists did, is actually to oppose the entire move of the triune God in Christ to carry out his New Testament economy, to fulfill his eternal purpose, to have the church, the body of Christ, as his corporate expression. And the term the way includes all the truths, the visions, the revelations, the experience and enjoyment of Christ, the riches of Christ, the organic practice of the church life, the proclaiming of the gospel of the kingdom. It's a totality. So Paul would be very faithful and aggressive to articulate the truth, to declare the truth, and if necessary, to rigorously defend the truth, because this is part of his testimony of being obedient to the heavenly vision. This is a wonderful pattern. Of course, Paul's whole life in Acts, as it's unfolded, is a pattern to us. But that word sect, of course, was a very powerful word then. And as you alluded to the word cult, it's similarly used today. But Paul was very keen to just turn away from that kind of disparaging title and then point them to the way which was really Christ and his economy. Let's go back to more of Witness Lee sharing, Ron. Then he went on to the matter of resurrection. And resurrection here is both of the righteous persons and the unrighteous persons. This needs a little time to study the matter of resurrection in the New Testament, beginning from John chapter 5 and through so many other portions. When you touch resurrection, you touch the matter of so-called eschatology. The resurrection of the righteous will be before the thousand-year kingdom. And this will be a positive resurrection, which is called the resurrection of life. People resurrected to enjoy life. That is to enjoy eternal life in the thousand years. And this is also the resurrection of a reward, because that coming resurrection of life will be given to the uh, overcoming saints as a reward. 
It is also called by Paul in Philippians 3, the out-resurrection. Extra-resurrection. That means Paul was pursuing a kind of a resurrection on the top in which he could receive a top reward. Then the resurrection of the unrighteous person will be after the thousand years, and that will be the resurrection of all the died ones who have not been saved. So that resurrection will be a resurrection of judgment. Of course, everyone who has not been saved until that time will be condemned to eternal perdition. So that will be their shame and their kind of contempt. So this is called the resurrection of judgment, the resurrection of shame and contempt. This is recorded in John clearly. You better study there. And Paul was wise when he refers this resurrection matter to Felix that becomes a kind of warning to Felix. And you have to get yourself prepared to face the coming resurrection of judgment. And you'll be just there. Of course, he didn't say this clearly, but his talk surely implies this. So later on, Felix came with his wife. This wife was the wife of another one. Felix became a kind of animal of her. So Felix convinced this Jewish girl by the name Drusilla. She divorced her husband and married Felix. By this you could see Felix was altogether an immoral person without any self-control. Ron, in Paul's speaking to Felix, he speaks both of the resurrection and of judgment. From the context of these verses, it seems that Paul was giving a kind of warning to Felix. What's the connection here between resurrection and judgment, and who should be warned by this connection? The gospel that is preached throughout the book of Acts is focused on the kingdom of God. It's the gospel of the kingdom. And Paul is burdened to propagate the resurrected Christ, establish churches for the kingdom of God. Related to the kingdom is the righteousness of God. Therefore, the New Testament speaks of the word of righteousness. Now, Paul is speaking to a Roman politician, to someone uh, intricately involved with Roman politics and government. So he is warning him that there will be a resurrection of all, mentioned in John chapter 5. All deceased human beings will be resurrected and stand before the great white throne. And this is very much related to the Lord's coming again to establish the kingdom, which will be a reward to the overcoming believers. But at the end of the kingdom age, on the verge of the new heaven and new earth with the new Jerusalem, according to Revelation 20, every negative thing is dealt with. So Paul 
is speaking a righteous word related to the kingdom of God, to this Roman politician, and that, at least temporarily, unnerved that politician. It put fear into him, but something in him triumphed over the fear, and that was the hope of getting money from Paul. And for that reason, he repeatedly wanted to meet with Paul, listening to what Paul would say, but all the while hoping to get money. So we see here an excellent pattern of being all things to all men, as Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians. What does a corrupt political leader need? He doesn't need a soft word. He needs a solid word of warning. The gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom will be coming in righteousness, and everything and everyone will be judged. If you're wise, even though you're a Roman politician, you would fear God, turn to him, believe into the Son of God, call upon the name of the Lord, be born of God, be baptized, and enter into the kingdom of God. This was Paul's uncompromising testimony. He would not water it down. He would not soften it. He was faithful to God. And in a proper sense, he was also faithful to that Roman ruler to speak to him what he desperately needed to hear. Ron, let's go back to our final section today from Witness Lee. When Felix came to talk to Paul, his intention was to get money. By chance, Paul reasoned with him concerning three things, righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. Righteousness, surely this politician was altogether unrighteous. All the time expecting to get some bribe, some unrighteous money. Based upon this fact, Paul reasoned with him about uh, this righteousness. And then self-control no doubt refers to Felix's lust. You could see he was altogether a person under his lust without any kind of self-control. Eventually, Paul came to this matter of the future judgment, the judgment for perdition. No doubt, this was a strong warning to Felix. So Felix became afraid, yet he was not moved. He uh, sent Paul away. And after this, she called a few times, but without the intention to hear the gospel, rather to get money. You could see the rottenness in the uh, Roman politics. And also you could see the hypocrisy in the Jewish religion. In Judaism, nothing there but hypocrisy. They pretended to uh, serve God, to uh, please God, to glorify God, and so forth. Yet, they did a lot of evils. They were evilly for their kind of religion. Even they used the evil craftiness 
to uh, get rid of person who uh, did not agree with their way. In the Roman politics, there's nothing, no justice, no righteousness, but full of unrighteousness. And these men, Felix, knew the things clearly that Paul was nothing wrong. Actually, in justice, he should declare a release to Paul, but he didn't. He kept him there, not for any other purpose, just for getting money. He kept Paul in a good custody, allowing his friends and close persons to visit him. For what purpose? For keeping him there that he may have some time to talk to him to get some money from him. He kept Paul there in that custody two years. Ron, we have an unpleasant picture here. I guess a word that could be used to describe it is that it was somewhat disgusting when you look at Felix as the leading politician at the time and the corruption and immorality that was uncovered about his living. He kept Paul in custody for those two years, primarily for the purpose of extracting a bribe. Also, Paul was able to touch the immoral situation regarding his own wife, if, in fact, they were even married, as Witness Lee pointed out. I think these things are easy to see, but Winnesley also mentions the hypocrisy of the religion of the day, Judaism. How do we see this religious corruption, and how do these two things, corruption and religion, frequently go hand in hand? The hypocrisy was thoroughly exposed by the Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry. For instance, read Matthew 23. And many cases recorded in the Gospels showed that the leading religionists cared for legality, outward forms, rituals, but their inner being was really a tomb full of death. And so hypocrisy, wearing a mask, pretending to be what you're not, was a characteristic of that kind of degraded, organized religion. We know from the record in the Gospels of the series of questions directed to the Lord Jesus in the days prior to his crucifixion. At certain times, this degraded religion could work together with corrupt politics. That's how the crucifixion was enabled. It was the religionists who wanted to kill him. They used the Roman Empire to do it. So there he is, when it's convenient for both parties, an illicit union of degraded organized religion, and corrupt politics. We see this in the book of Revelation. And it's actually a dreadful thing in human history whenever some form of religion has entered into an established union with the political power. That always issues in the most severe persecution of the genuine believers, the children of God, the members of the body of Christ the followers of the way. Praise the Lord for the pattern that we see in Paul, whose motive in his vigorous defense was not just self-preservation, but rather the protection of the testimony of Christ and the work that he was doing. Ron, it seems that with both corrupt politics and evil religion, there's really nothing in God's economy 
pointing us to a desire to reform it. He's really just moving in another direction, isn't he? The Lord, toward the end of his ministry, made it very clear he had abandoned the religious system. He said, the temple, your house, is left to you. He made no attempt to reform it. In no way was he an advocate of mere social and political reform. He knew that instead of a corrupt or evil or degraded religion, there would be the reality of the kingdom of God, the church built up by the resurrected and ascended Christ, the testimony of Jesus, the organic body of Christ. The Lord left the old wineskin of religion and put the new wine of his vibrant life into the new wineskins of the church as the body of Christ. The kingdom of God, in its reality, which is an inward matter, can be formed in the lives of the believers as they're living outwardly under various forms of human government. But the manifestation of the kingdom cannot and will not coexist with human government and evil politics. So when the Lord Jesus returns, all human government will be terminated. No more politics, no more corruption, just the glorious manifestation of the kingdom of God in righteousness on the earth. Ron, I really appreciate your being a part of this broadcast, as I do each time when you're able to join us. Anything you'd like to leave us with in closing? Paul is a pattern of someone who allowed Christ to live in him, to be formed in him, to be magnified in him. Paul is a pattern of allowing Jesus to live again from within the spirits of his believers. Paul is a pattern of absoluteness, of uncompromising faithfulness. Paul is a pattern of not caring for your own life, but caring for the testimony of Jesus, the name of Jesus, and the glory of God. If we understand this pattern properly, we won't try to imitate it. Rather, we will turn again to our beloved Lord Jesus, open our being to him, and pray that for the sake of his testimony, what he did in the Apostle Paul, he will do in all of us, so that on the earth today, there will be a pure, faithful, absolute testimony of Jesus. That is all the time we have today. We hope you'll join us for our next life study from the book of Acts. Do contact us if you have interest in the ministry materials we provide. Our toll-free number is 888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. Or email us, radio at lsm.org. For Ron Kangas, I'm Chris Wilde. Thanks very much for listening today. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry, publisher and distributor of the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. If you'd like to contact us, just email radio at lsm.org or call us toll-free at 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 1-888-543-3788.
Thanks for listening.